Hey Trekkies and welcome to Trek Freaks, part of the Geek Freaks podcast family. In this podcast, we review episodes of Star Trek starting at the original series. My name is John and I'll be one of your hosts, joined by my good friend and co-host Kevin. Hey! Uh, so Kevin, what episode are we reviewing today? Today we are talking about episode 8 of season 1 of the original series called Miri. Nice. I'm kind of excited about this one though. It's a little, uh, rings a little, <laughs> a little too true, a little too close to home. It's a... Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, but before we get into it, I got a question for you. Are you ready? Oh, hit me. All right, all right. So say you survive the apocalypse, and after many years, you are rebuilding a new society, right? What would you choose as your new profession? So uh, there are a couple of different ways I thought of to approach this, mm-hmm. but the one I'm going to stick with is I would actually want to be either an educator or a historian or like a history teacher Ooh, that's... to try to figure out what happened and how to avoid it. And I've always been like interested in, in history, especially of ancient cultures and stuff. So if I were to have survived whatever apocalypse or if I was born shortly after an apocalypse, whatever, try to rebuild society, I think historians would be one of the most important things if <laughs> you want to learn what happened, how to avoid it the next time. So. Yeah, I think that'd be my answer. Yeah, that'd be great, too, because there's so much content that you, I mean, you find an abandoned library that didn't burn down, and you right. just spend years in there, like, studying and then trying to spread the knowledge that you're finding in these books of, you know, lost information. That'd be great. Plus, if I had a, a, a whip, I could be Indiana. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So, for me, I think it, it kind of plays along the same lines as you're thinking of, too. It, you know, it's education to some extent. I would want to be in charge or responsible for reintegrating lost technology because entire factories and warehouses, iPhones and all this kind of tech would be completely lost over generations. So, you know, finding the manual and figuring out how to power these things and then finding a way that we can utilize technology that we had developed in previous generations and just lost uh, the ability to use. Yeah, that's also the premise of a lot of different episodes of Star Trek and sci-fi in general. They find an abandoned facility, power it up, something goes awry. Mm-hmm. I mean, that'd be endless uh, amounts of accidental Star Trek happening in real life. That'd be great. Right. I like <laughs> it. All right, let's get into our warp speed recap. Before we get into this, I'm going to apologize. This might be a little long, but we're working on <laughs> working on narrowing it down. Might be warp one. After receiving an Earth-style distress signal, known as an SOS, the Enterprise alters course to investigate. What they find is unbelievable, a planet that looks like an exact copy of Earth, or at least Earth as it used to look like. Uh, What does this mean? Was this planet fabricated by aliens? Was it ours? Uh, Sorry, was our planet fabricated by aliens? Will we find humans on this planet? Will they be like us, or will they in fact be us? Regardless uh, who they are, these people need help. A landing party beams down to investigate. Planets say they find that the planet looks like Earth did back in the 1960s. It also looks like it stopped developing and had been decaying over the past few hundred years. While investigating the planet, they find a young woman named Miri. She is terrified of the strangers at first, but soon learns to trust them. She explains that the adults of the planet all died from some maddening disease. Only the children survived. This could be bad. Is the landing party uh, infected? Uh, They must stay on the planet until they can verify that they are not sick and therefore will not spread this disease to the Enterprise and the rest of her crew. Miri escorts them to a hospital where the outbreak began. 
it makes sense that this would be the place broadcasting the SOS signal. After reviewing some research notes and testing their blood, Bones was able to answer the gnawing question. Yes, they are all infected with this disease. Even worse, any progress they had hoped to make on finding a cure was nearly halted when the local children snuck into the lab and stole their communicators. Now they have no way to communicate with their ship. Anal uh, analyzing reports and research logs, Spock is able to estimate they have only seven days before the disease fully matures and kills them all. Between finding the children's hideout and pouring through reports, the crew learns that the disease was created by man uh, to extend life and slow the aging process. Believe it or not, it worked great, at least on part of their population. Children aged only a month over several years. In fact, the children alive on the planet were, were over 300 years old. However, adults had the opposite effect. They went mad, grew sores, and aged to death in minutes. This, too, would happen to every one of these children when they eventually became adults. Racing against the clock, Bones is trying to create a cure. Though it's a bit of a stretch, he thinks he may have uh, made it. However, <clears throat> a sample needs to be beamed to the ship for testing. Still not possible without their communicators. Meanwhile, Janice was taken. Kirk goes to, the, Kirk goes to search for her, and with Mary's help, finds Janice tied up in the children's hideout. After being attacked, Kirk explains what they have learned about this disease and how it will eventually take them all. The children don't believe him until Miri shows the sores already developing on her. Finally, they return the communicators and allow Kirk and Janice to leave. Before they return with, with no time to spare, the doctor tests his untested cure on himself. He shouts and collapses violently to the floor. However, shortly after, the sores begin to go away. The cure is a success. Kirk and Janice and the children arrive just in time and are able to be treated. The Enterprise leaves a medical team behind, for the time being, to produce and administer this new cure to the rest of the children. Uh, the crew continues on to their next adventure. Bam! And that's all the time we got on this episode. <laughs> <Right>? See you guys <laughs> next week. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's that was an extensive recap. It was actually that was a really good recap too, and it gives us a lot to lot to discuss here too. I like it. You set up a lot of the the questions and stuff that we're going to be analyzing throughout in that recap, and that was perfect. So I do want to point out. Uh, I guess I I don't know if I want to dig into it too much right now. Well, yeah, I'll dig into it right now. First thing off the bat, let's do it. <laughs> the one thing that bothers me the most about this episode, it's a mostly a good episode, except for the gaping plot hole that they leave in it, which is. They found this Earth, this other Earth, thousands of light years away from Earth, and they never answer the question of what the heck is it. They just use it as a great, uh, you know, easy solution to making sets that look like they were just down the street because they wanted to save money. But yeah, we have what, who created this Earth, and why are we just going to leave some medical officers behind to save all these kids, and we don't know any more information about it. <laughs> yeah, so my thought about it was that it just so happened to exist and looks exactly like earth the continent formations and everything I, I, because they didn't explain it i just had to assume that it was something that just naturally occurred yeah that mean the but, mean density and everything they went through all these parameters and like yeah everything is exactly 
and it had looks like it had the same sort of uh development too like it just stopped in the 1960s and then for the next 300 years there was no further development so everything was just kind of decaying mm. after that but yeah i i have no idea if they're gonna i i think that's a star trek lower decks thing that they would probably touch on that or have a whole episode uh referencing that entire ep- this entire episode of the original series and make it work that lower decks is known for that and it's great um yeah i don't yeah i, don't know. I started excited because i was thinking like oh man this is going to be a temporal episode where they went through some kind of you know wormhole or there's a <laughs> duplicated planet or this is you know the mirror universe or something really out there and then they don't even address it later it's just like well that's why this planet looks like you know outdoors like they're you know on the streets of la in the <laughs> 60s it's because it is yeah. so that was uh that was a little disappointing which i'm sure you know we could figure out I, I was racking my brain last night trying to think like how could we fill that plot like what could we make up to be <laughs> headcanon to fill it in but i couldn't <laughs> think of anything reasonable so I'm just gonna have to leave that hole Damn. open I was hoping you were asking that question because you had your own answer to it. And I was so looking forward to right. it. <laughs> I'll have to keep thinking about it. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll circle on. Maybe another episode will answer this question for us. So then we, <laughs> we'll have it solved. So you guys listening, you have to listen to every other episode of Trek Freaks after this one to see if we answer that question. <laughs> uh, but yeah, other than that, I thought it was a pretty, pretty good episode. Uh, the costume design with the, the lesions and stuff like that was a little, little weak. And I remember one phaser shot was pretty bad, but uh, other than that, it was pretty well done. Uh, I do like the acting. I'm surprised the acting from these these young children was actually pretty good. This episode made me want to rethink having kids like (laughs) (laughs) not not because they're, you know, just absolute shitheads, but. Like, it's just everything about it from the their creepy, uh, like singing. Yeah, it's just it's, it's just made me not want to have anything to do with kids while I was watching that episode. They, they remind me of the Children <laughs> of the Corn. That was one of my favorite like creepy yeah. kid movies when I was little. Um, yeah, that was that's a little creepy. So another another little plot hole. I hate to just talk bad about Star Trek because I love Star Trek, but maybe you have a, a better understanding or an answer for this. These kids have been here for three hundred years, and I get that they're not matured to adults, so because they're not aging, so they're their mindset is still like young kids, but I figured over that time they would have developed some kind of society, more like a children, like a, what was it, Lord of the Flies kind of thing. And it just seemed like there was no no structure in a three hundred year developed, you know, civilization of young minds. But I was surprised by that. Do you think there's any reason why they wouldn't develop more? No, I was I was kind of surprised by that too because I figured that just because they're bodies and brain chemistry isn't maturing their minds would still be maturing in that time yeah. i mean it's 300 years no matter how young you are you learn more yeah. and even if you're learning that, at a third grade time. level you're still learning right yeah and i mean the, the fact that there wasn't a society isn't like a, a society as we know it mm-hmm. wasn't that surprising but how they were just still acting as children even though they were 300 years older than they were when it started is it I, I think there's a lot of plot holes in this that they just didn't want to try to explain yeah. nope. just for the simplicity of getting across the, the story that they wanted to get across. Yeah. The only thing I can think of with that, they didn't say much about kids dying. They did mention that some are aging out once they get past an age, they're 
you know, become adolescents and they, they get this disease and die. But what I'm thinking is uh, there's so many kids that talked about how their, their food resources are running out. And uh, I'm thinking they probably can't develop a structured civilization because they're probably dying. Like these kids are still kids. They're probably Lord of the Flies kind of fighting. They're probably ganging up on each other and killing each other from time to time. So, you know, maybe there's too many of them dying from just the common cold. Even if they don't have this disease, they don't know how to take care of themselves. So, yeah, that's, what I, that's the only reason I can think of that maybe they're not able to develop a structured civilization of any sort because uh, they're too, there's too much chaos between the, the lack of structure they have and they don't know how to take care of themselves. Yeah, I, I would love to see them revisit this in an episode of Star Trek. Like, they come to the planet and it's still the same kids because I don't know if the vaccine ended up, like, reversing all of the positive effects as well as the negative ones or if it was just stopping the rapid aging after puberty. Yeah, that would be interesting. That'd be awesome if the combination was what the original creators wanted it to be where you have almost you know, immortality. Yeah, but then why wouldn't Starfleet have come back to the planet and yeah, replicated you know, that? <laughs> yeah, exactly. True, yeah, true. <laughs> hmm. That'd be a, that'd be a good episode to get back to the the they come back and find. Uh, yeah, only the original infected <laughs> stayed young forever. Oh, so another thing, I didn't put it in the recap because it was a little too much to to dive into, but <laughs> there was that really weird relationship between this young Miri prepubescent teenage girl and captain kirk now i don't think it was meant to be bad and we see things through our modern lens of hey there's a lot of creepers out there and stuff but it was i mean he was definitely flirting with her throughout the episode what do you think about that it was touched on a little bit in the episode um like i think it was spock pointed out that miri was becoming a young woman mm -hmm. and that's why she was into him I took it that he was kind of stringing her along to try to figure out what was going on so that she would be on his side. And I didn't really think it was going to be too bad in the long run. Like by six, 1960s standards, it definitely wasn't bad, I don't think. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think it was meant to be that creepy, as creepy as it came off in the, you know, through the modern lens, like you were saying. Yeah. But. Yeah, I think he was just using her, but she was falling for him. Yeah. Which comes into play later on in the episode with Janice and everything. Like, I remember there's a scene where she's sharpening pencils to help them out because they're doing their research and she's kind of just standing around. So he's like, oh, can you sharpen pencils for us? And she looks up. She's like, oh, is this enough? She has like three or four sharpened. And he's like, well, a little more would be nice. Can you, you know, if you don't mind. And so she's just happily like sitting there sharpening pencils because she's just infatuated with him. So I think you're right that it was just... He's trying to, you know, get her cooperation because obviously she was petrified when she first saw them all. And so now because he's sweet and you know, flirtatious with her, she's trusting of him. And uh, yeah, it gets her to to cooperate, even though she does, you know, turn on them to try to get rid of uh, Janice at one point. Uh, but yeah, I think it was kind of it, it, it. I don't think like you're saying, I don't think it was meant to be creepy like it. It right. seemed it was. Uh, by, by 1960 standards, I'm sure it was pretty normal. And I do like the line at the very end, though, when uh, Spock uh, points out to Kirk, like, you know, she's a, a young woman now. And oh, did, he said something like that. And then Kirk's like, oh, um, you know, I don't, I don't mess around with older women or something like that. 
And it's like, oh, oh yeah, she's 300 yeah. years old. <laughs> um, God, I, I have that somewhere on here. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't write down the line, but it was. Oh, yeah, so uh, uh, Yeoman Rand tells Kirk that Miri really loved him. Mm-hmm. His response, yes, but I never get involved with an older woman, Yeoman. Yeah. And I just put after that that that's, I just put gross. Yeah. Gotta love the 60s. Right. I think that's his, his playful way of, you know, keeping a respectful distance and letting everyone know that he wasn't really interested in her in that way. Uh, but right. it's kind of a funny way to put it. It's like, oh, you, you know, you can, you can have her if you want kind of thing. And it's like, uh. Yeah, I'm going to just take a step back <laughs> from that. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> um, I really love that they had, uh, that they used the word grups yes. for grownups. Yeah. I I figured out right away that it, Grups was short for grownups because she was talking about adults the whole time she was that Miri was using the word Grups. But it just reminded me of Fallout. If you've ever played any of the Fallout games, I haven't. Frank like they, hates that I haven't either. It's supposedly they're like the best <laughs> games ever. I still have not gotten into them. There's a lot of lore behind it, but it's it's kind of a, kind of a similar way. Like um, there's a lot of especially in like Fallout Three and Fallout New Vegas. There's a lot of places you go. And there's signs up, but some of the letters have fallen off those signs. So now the new name of the place is whatever letters are remaining on there. I can't think of any examples of it, but it's it's sort of similar how a language and stuff just kind of deteriorates with society yeah. over time. It, I, I, I really, it's, I think this is the only example of it in this episode, but I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, I like, um, like you were talking about the creepy the creepy children aspect. I think they could have played into that a little more, but I like how we see that early in this episode when Spock and the security officers are in the streets and the kids kind of, you don't see them, but you hear them. They're up on the rooftops throwing rocks down. Uh, and yeah. they're just like taunting with this, like, I don't know, little sound they make. And it, it kind of, it's pretty creepy. Did any of those red shirts die in this episode? Cause I know Spock took a couple with him during that scene. Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't think any of them. Died. I don't think they were ever seen again in this episode after that, though. Yeah. Or very infrequently. It just kind of like disappeared. Yeah. I know the, the two, the two young adults that got too old, uh, died. Uh, the, the, yeah. the guy that we see fighting over the trike in the beginning. And then, uh, the little girl that runs in or young woman that runs into the room when they're in the, the hideout, uh, you know, both of them died from the disease, but I don't think we lost any crew members. That's another uh, likeness to Fallout that I made while I was watching this episode, is that when, they, when the disease fully affected them, it turned them into what Fallout calls a feral ghoul. Mm-hmm. And the ghouls are people that have been irradiated, but most of them can still act normally mm-hmm. throughout society. They just, they're burned. Um, the feral ones have lost their minds and they just go crazy, like... Mm-hmm. Uh, just like the the people that are infected with this disease do when they hit puberty. It sounds like uh, Bioshock. Have you played Bioshock? I, I've played a couple of them. The part of the first one and all of the third one. Yeah, I like I like them all, but it reminds me of that too. I still I gotta play Fallout. <laughs> well, let's talk about Star Trek. Again. <laughs> <laughs> right. Back to what we were on. Uh, let's see. Was there other any other big scenes that really stood out to you? Yeah, I know um, Miri betraying the, gr- the group to get Janice kind of away. Um, I thought that was interesting that she was so infatuated with Kirk that she was going to try to trick them to get rid of her. She thinks like if I kill off this other woman that's in his life, then I can keep him <laughs> for myself, I think is her right. plan. But it's obviously 
you know, a teenager's plan because it wasn't well thought out. Uh, when Kirk and Miri first meet and she says that her name is Miri, mm-hmm. his response from the get go was pretty name for a pretty young woman. Yeah. So I think he was trying to set that tone pretty early on in the episode. And that, I think, is when I started like reading into the creepy factor of it. Yeah. But over time, it started drifting away. When you meet like a 17 year old girl and you're a starship captain, that's probably not the first thing that goes through your mind or the first thing that should go through your mind. Yeah. But probably younger than 17, Kirk. too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, that's 13. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. But uh, depending on if they're drinking our milk or not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I also noted that she, that, that actress that played Miri, was really like good for a young actress. She had a, a huge yeah. range. Like her, her uh, emotional acting was really impressive. The kid, the the older kid, the older boy leader of the kid group was also decent for his age. Yeah. I didn't so much care for the bonk bonk guy, the bonk bonk kid. Yeah. That was that was a little much. Too silly um, for the for the atmosphere. <laughs> right. Um, there was one bit I caught uh, when they were in the kid's hideout that the camera kind of zooms in when Kirk gets there and everything. They're they're. He's trying to explain to them how this disease is going to take them all. Uh, the camera zooms in, pans in, and it gets caught on a spider web. Did you notice that? I so, did Somebody not. must have swatted it off the front of the lens, but it's, it's coming in, and it, this, a web gets caught on the lens for just a second, and they pull it away. And I just thought that was so funny. Huh. Like, Why would they not just reshoot that real quick? But maybe, <laughs> maybe it's hard with kids to, to get a good scene, so they didn't want to do another take or something but i thought that was so funny that's a fair point i didn't yeah i wouldn't have thought of that yeah it's uh man i i didn't catch that at all and i i think it's because i'm paying like half attention to what i'm watching half attention to what i'm typing mm-hmm. <laughs> as i'm watching these episodes so i miss little details like that but i'm glad you caught <laughs> that you got that um i also noted that finally what are we on episode eight finally bones earns his title <laughs> all these episodes i've been pointing out like He's, he's just scratching his head while somebody's dying in his medical bay. Like, huh, they, his heart rate was okay. He shouldn't have died. I, it doesn't make any sense. I'm like, dude, wh- where'd you get your doctrine at? Like, <laughs> are you sure you're a medical professional? Uh, but here, finally, you know, he's able to find the cure and you know, properly diagnosed from the beginning. So I'm like, all right, all right, you're, you're not that bad. We're not going le- to leave you behind to administer <laughs> the vaccine to kids. So... Uh, McCoy was actually a really good character to see how the, the the progression of the disease worked because he's the oldest one on the away team. So it hit him harder, hit him faster. Um, I, I, I think talking about the, his story throughout the episode is a great way of kind of familiarizing ourselves and the people listening to this, what exactly the disease did. So. We see pretty early on that he gets those, those blue lesions on him. They look like burns or scabs, but like pasted onto the skin. Kind yeah, of. they're like raised <laughs> like, uh, yeah, they're, they're textured like burn scars, but they're purple and blue and they stick out pretty. Yeah, far. They're, they're pretty hideous. And um, we see pretty quickly. I don't have this in my notes, so I'm kind of just free balling here, but <laughs> uh, see pretty quickly how how it affects him and it starts driving the people that are affected by this like mad, like they lose their patience. They lose their temper. We see uh, McCoy and Kirk get into it a few times. Um, 
Spock is not affected by it because it apparently doesn't like his Vulcan green blood, which is interesting if that's the reason why. But I think that was just more of McCoy being, you know, the b- being McCoy and just snapping back at Spock. Um, and we've seen that. And then by we've the, seen that in another episode too. That Spock being a Vulcan and his green blood for some reason Vulcans are must have a huge like a great immune system or something because these things that are not of Earth they're not just affecting you know humans but they're things from all across the, the galaxy seem to affect humans and red blooded you know aliens more than Spock and the Vulcans and green blooded aliens. Yeah, in this episode, I just. It was easier to explain because the planet was basically Earth, yeah. so they were probably as close to human as humanly possible mm-hmm. without being technically human from Earth because, as Kirk noted in the beginning of the episode, that there are no uh, colonies out that far. Though it must have been no a Earth clone colonies. planet or something because that trike looked like a Huffy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But yeah, um, Spock and Kirk, or Spock and McCoy... Kirk and McCoy, gosh, let me try that again. Uh, Kirk and McCoy are kind of uh, back and forth at each other, losing their temper with each other. And by the end of it, um, McCoy loses his patience so much that he's created this vaccine. He thinks it's going to work, but he doesn't know the amount, the, the proper dosage of it to give without potentially leading to death. And he's losing his patience with not being able to contact the ship, not being able to test it out. They're all going to die soon. So he just just injects himself with it and it looks like he's about to die so that, like you said the fact that it actually worked yeah. is great because it's the first time that we see dr mccoy like being a doctor yeah. and taking he, he, <laughs> not... usually kirk is the one taking huge risks to you know save the crew but here bones just right shoots himself up with some experimental cure and sure enough you know he could easily just drop dead and then everybody dies but uh or he has some mutation that oh crap i need to change the the dosage or something but right yeah, pretty awesome so what did you think of how the how the disease affected kirk in this episode i think i think we're seeing a, a reoccurring uh well actually we see it in well, a lot of episodes i have to say the next episode as well kirk has <laughs> a superior mind he's not quite vulcan but he of the humans this must be why he is a great captain he just has the a stronger brain than than most anybody else uh, that he's able to fight off things like you know mental manipulation or a disease that has mental degradation in it uh, so yeah we see that he he gets stressed and they're in a stressful situation but this disease is also kind of making them aggravated uh, but he catches himself and pulls it back and like no 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 we need to we need to solve this problem we can't just let ourselves slip into madness so i like that I, it's a definitely a reoccurring theme in in the original series that that Kirk has that more uh, conditioned mind. He's he's better able to tolerate extreme uh, extreme circumstances. Um, we see that in the rest of Star Trek as well. Like every captain tends to have that ability with uh, Picard, Cisco, and Janeway all showing similar abilities. So I think it is just a a Starfleet captain thing. But it is interesting how frequently it comes up with captain kirk it's like almost every episode he's put in a situation that a lesser man using air quotes there um wouldn't be able to tolerate or would uh, die quicker or whatever the circumstance might be and he just he presses on and it's what makes him such a big damn hero Mm -hmm. but i don't know is it (laughs) 
it gets to be a little much when they reuse that trope again and again and again. Yeah, they do need to kind of pass pass it around a little bit too. And I like how you know, they kind of spotlighted the doctor a little bit on this. And you know, uh, Spock helped a lot with the research, but I like that some other people get attention sometimes. So we don't want to always be the Kirk show. We could just rename it if that's the case. <laughs> right. uh, but but it basically is the Kirk Bones and Spock show, yeah. especially at this point. It's mostly just the three of them. Yeah. But. The last person that was down on the away team that we saw how it affected was Yeoman Rand. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of her development through this episode? I don't remember her. Did she was she showing symptoms towards the end? I don't remember her like reacting. So she started getting those lesions on her yeah. and pulled Kurt aside and told him to look at her legs and she had the lesions on her legs. And she said, I've always wanted you to look at my legs or something along those lines. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. So she, it was, I mean, I know that's not, um, that's not the kind of madness that we see from the men that get it, but you know, maybe it's a, it's a loss of self-control that she's trying to you know, entice him or however you would say it. Yeah. Uh, she so she says back on the ship I used to try to get you to look at my legs. Captain look at my legs and that's when she sees uh, when Kirk sees the blue splotches. It was it's a little entrapment. It right was <laughs> <laughs> It was a little weird because normally we see Kirk is kind of holding himself back from showing affection toward like the females on his ship especially. Mm-hmm. He his one true love is the Enterprise, and they we've seen that throughout the first seven episodes before this so far, that his true love is the Enterprise, and he tries to hold himself back from relationships with the women on the Enterprise to very little success, I might add. Um, <laughs> and this is one time where we see that there was somebody on the ship that wanted his attention. Yeah. And I kind of like that that we see that because it's not just just he's a, you know, pervy guy that's interested in all the women on the ship. It's like, no, he's a very handsome, eligible bachelor with a position of authority and all the women are actually interested in him. And he's the one that has to be responsible and respectful and try to keep a distance, even though he may fail from time to time. But at least he's taking that stance. Right. And looking at uh, some of the prior episodes with Rand in it, it kind of puts a a light on a lot of the ways that she's acting. And it kind of makes me look at a lot of scenes with her a little bit differently too. It's like, well, she's, she's kind of harboring this, uh, this feeling toward Kirk that she's not really sure how to express until she has some, a disease in her that's driving her crazy and makes her say it out loud. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind of, yeah, kind of changes the whole way I look at that character. Yeah. When we go back to, uh, the enemy within where he, the, you know, evil version of Kirk attacks her in her quarters. And it's like, wow, that adds a whole nother level to it where we have to think that she is very interested in him. So she would invite him into her quarters and want to sit down and have a drink together. But then he's being aggressive. So how traumatic could that be for her where this is the guy she's interested in and now he's actually attacking her. It's like, whoa, dang, where do you draw that line and decide to push someone out of your quarters kind of thing? Yeah. And are are they the like, the epitome of the of bad timing when, when you hear the trope of bad timing in love stories they may be that like epitomized that's that's weird to think about now i kind of want to watch when as i'm watching the rest of this series i want to see how that relationship progresses or doesn't progress yeah. 
Yeah, I think we'll we'll continue to see a dance between them, I'm sure. Um, so one other thing I I realized and I didn't really talk about is that the kids, uh, they have at one point they have control of the situation because they have the communicators, and the crew can't communicate with the ship because because the the kids have the communicators, um, and they don't trust the adults. They think all these grups are are there to attack them eventually because all the grups go crazy. And it takes some patience and open-mindedness and communication for them to realize <clears throat> that these people are actually trying to help, that they're not the same as the other ones, and that this disease is going to kill the children too if they don't uh, cooperate. Um, so that comes to what my moral of the story was that I found was, I'll read what I have here, uh, we must let go of control for our own good. We're not all plumbers and doctors and farmers. We must trust within reason experts in their field as they must trust us in ours. So the kids, obviously none of them are medical professionals and they don't understand the situation at first, but once they do, they trust that Bones, the doctor that came to help, uh, you know, he's going to find a cure and, and implement it. And, you know, within reason, they can trust that because he's an expert in that he's going to be able to help. So. Yeah, that's more or less what I got from it as well. Um, there, there's a point in the episode, though, where I don't know if that's 100% what they were going for, because a lot of this episode kind of just seemed like, oh, kids be dumb. So here's adults. Yeah. <laughs> like one of someone at one point said that I don't remember who it was. I probably have it written down somewhere, but that, oh, here we go. Kirk says children have a need for adults. And I obviously it's inherently true because that that's just how the parent child dynamic works. Mm -hmm. But when you're a 300 year old child, yeah. or 300 plus and adults haven't been around in a while, I think you, that they would learn to adapt without them. Mm -hmm. And it would probably cause the distrust that all of these children have in them. So I don't know if they're necessarily looking for parental figures yeah. like the, the, like all the, the grups in the episode were implying, but more that they were just trying to not have what happened in the past, the way things were, as they said, or the before time, I think was mentioned a couple of times when all the, the adults on the planet went crazy and started killing each other. Essentially, they were trying to avoid that happening with this new set of adults. Mm -hmm that landed on their planet. So I, I, yeah, I think it is a lot to do with, uh, trusting people that are professionals in their field, people that know the experts. Um, it's as you were saying at the very beginning of this recording, it's something that kind of hits home in a, a lot of different ways. And, uh, Star Trek knew that. <laughs> yeah. And I would, I would kind of reword, uh, what you're saying, how children need adults. I think, we that's how it relates in this but i think overall it's that humans need structure and for children that structure is the structure that adults have already implemented but for these kids the adults that they trusted didn't have that structure when they got sick and went crazy so that's why they don't trust the structure that these new adults are bringing to their society uh, but i think overall that's that's kind of a broad moral message that yeah children or or all humans need structure of some some kind even we as adults need, like when you go to your work, you don't want a workplace that's unstructured and full of chaos. You need to to know, you know, where you go to do your job and 
you know, where you get gas and where you're going to go to sleep and all that good stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's that's a really good point, too. And I, I think a lot of that is not so much stated in the episode as it is uh, there for us to interpret. Mm-hmm. So that's that's great. It kind of bummed me out that the that Kirk said that kids need adults, essentially. And that was just his thought. Like, he's just ham- trying to hammer in the point that he's better than people because he's an adult. And it, I don't know. It just kind of it kind of irked yeah. me. I It seemed like it could have been stated better by him. But yeah, you're absolutely correct. I think that's what they were going for is with more of the structure rather than people that are above a certain age are needed. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of adults that are completely immature. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. I'm not one of them at all. <laughs> the 33 year old that acts like a I don't know, sometimes a 16-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you have anything else on this episode before we wrap it up? Actually, now that you mention it, there is one thing that I wanted to mention, and I think I'm going to be mentioning it later on in an episode of Trek Freaks in the future. Um, Kirk is actually giving a captain's log into his tricorder. Did you notice that? I did. So, was it this episode or the next episode? I see he's recording into what looks like a massive tape recorder. It's, yeah. it's you know got to be close to the size of a piece of paper eight and a half by 11 and he hands it off to somebody to walk away is that what you were talking about or is he talking about it's like yeah that's both uh both this episode and the next okay. one that he does that in i it was on the bridge and i couldn't quite tell if that was what was happening in this episode until i watched the next episode and saw him doing it again yeah. and i'm like that's that's crazy i thought it was his tricorder but it was yeah you're right it's a lot bigger than what than the tricorder is, that they use in this. And it's funny that everything, all these shows, all these different seasons or series of Star Trek, they reflect the, the modern times that they live in. And obviously they don't know what our future technology is going to look like, but they can extrapolate based right. on their technology. So they're like, oh yeah, we'll be able to have, you know, a recording device anywhere you go. Well, yeah, but it's not going to be this big old chunk of plastic. <laughs> like, and I imagine they must have rooms of tapes that are being stored until they get somewhere where they can offload them and stuff. It's like, Oh right. my God, that's so, so, I don't know, labor intensive to keep logs that way, but that was pretty funny to see. <laughs> yeah, I, I just love that we actually see him giving a live uh, captain's log because I know this has kind of been a thing that we've talked about in prior episodes, whether or not they were given like after the fact as like a post-mission report or if they were doing it live during whatever was going on, because I've always seen it as something that they're just kind of narrating stuff. But after the fact, yeah. but this is we see it as it's happening. So it kind of was like, holy shit, it's actually happening. I'm getting an answer. I was very happy about that. <laughs> yeah, I always figured it would be the captain goes off to the ready room. They kind of decompress for a minute, have a cup of tea or coffee or something. And that's where they, they update their records for their captain's log. And then after that, they go back out to the bridge and take care of business. But yeah, it's funny to see he's doing that on the bridge where everybody's there with them. Yeah, and that happens in uh, this series, too, where I know I'm deep diving into something that's just such a minor thing, but I need to talk about it. Like whenever Kirk is in trouble and it comes back from commercial break, it's still Kirk giving a captain's log. But in other iterations of Star Trek, it's always whoever's the next in charge giving the the acting captain's log. It's it's never um, that person who like if Picard was captured by the Cardassians and he was taken to. Something he's obviously not going to stop and (laughs) take a log about it. It'll be Riker giving the acting captain's log. But in this one, it's always Kirk, it seems, unless it's specific to medical or specific to science or something. 
where the person in charge of that department's giving it. It's just it's a little inconsistent, but I love trying to figure out when they use one way, when they use the other ways. And I like to see that in other Star Treks too, where it's like, you know, medical officer's log and they're they're doing the narration. It's like, wow, that's yeah. it's different. And you understand it's not the captain, so it doesn't, you know, hold the same weight, but it's cool to see like everybody throughout their shift throughout the day is keeping these small little audio bite logs that are being stored. <laughs> yeah. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. And here we are talking about it in our own version of a log. Right. I love it. <laughs> That's all I got for this episode. I think, yeah, I think that's all I got too. So uh, thank you all for joining us. If you like this, don't forget to subscribe and check us out on geekfreakspodcast.com as well as Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, please send us questions. We, the questions we start the episode with, we would love to debate your question. Uh, we can also just respond to your questions on our social media platforms if you have specific questions about our podcast series and what we do. Um, and join us again uh, for our next episode will be season one episode nine dagger of the mind until then transporter room two to beam up